inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thank you for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. Be sure to hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. I appreciate the reviews and ratings from our listeners. I've been getting some great feedback, both online and in person. And I love seeing those five-star reviews. It helps me out a lot, and it helps other horse lovers find this podcast. So my heartfelt thanks to everyone who's left me a review. I really enjoy reading your comments. We love your ideas and suggestions, so please keep them coming. Since the last time we recorded, I've been mostly at home for the holidays. It's been cold and snowy here in the Colorado mountains, but the good news is I've been able to spend some time skiing, which is one of my favorite sports and one of the reasons we live in Colorado. I've also had some good time on my young horse, Pepperoni, and finally, after recovering from seemingly one injury after another, he were finally, knock on wood, on a good path, um, jumping right back into the training game, right where we left off. It almost seemed as if he didn't have a layoff. In fact, I, I would say, given that over the period of his recovery, a uh, few months, he went from being a three-year-old to a four-year-old, and that difference in maturity between a three-year-old and four-year-old is is significant. It's um, almost as significant as the difference between a two- and three-year-old horse when it comes to training. So I've been enjoying getting back to a full training regime with him, and uh, he's he's been fun to ride. I had a had a nice time being home over the holidays, but just after New Year's, I made a trip to Northern California to be with my sister as she recovered from breast cancer surgery. And she's doing great, and everything turned out well there. But I just mention it because it's one of my New Year's resolutions is to take care of preventative health measures. Uh, like mammograms and colonoscopy and um, cardio fitness. And um, she just had gone for a very routine mammogram. There's no history of cancer of any kind in our family, let alone breast cancer. And um, this uh, very beginning stages of uh, breast cancer was detected. So it's a good warning to us all to... to uh, not put off until tomorrow what we should have done yesterday. So um, I hope you'll join me in that New Year's resolution. Speaking of the new year, 2020 has a lot of great events shaping up for me. I'll be a headline presenter at several horse expos in the U.S. I'll be in Tennessee, Pennsylvania, Oregon, Wisconsin, I always have a good time at expos doing training clinics and demonstrations for the audience. Also new in 2020, I've got some programs at Sea Lazy U that we've never done before. One is a couples riding retreat and vacation with 
my husband and I will co-teach with Barbara Schulte and her husband, Tom. That one is going to be a lot of fun. I already know a lot of the couples that are signed up, and it's going to be a, a great time. That's in the fall of 2020. Also in the fall uh, at Sea Lazy U, I'm doing a five-day horsemanship immersion program. We're going to tackle everything from um, training, fitness, confirmation, health, riding, behavior, uh, all of those things, and throw in some incredible trail riding in the Rocky Mountains and and, uh, gourmet food and luxurious accommodations. Um, check out my website, juliegoodnight.com, clinics and events. And also there you'll hear about our trip in the fall of 2020 back to Ireland with Connemara Equestrian Escapes. That's a six-day riding vacation um, alongside uh, yours truly. Uh, We'll do clinicking and riding in the morning and uh, have um, clinics, demonstrations, and cultural tours in the afternoon. So join me on that trip to Ireland. I think you'll really enjoy it. Today's topic is collection, a short story made long. We'll talk about what collection is and, more importantly, what it's not. I'll share with you how to prepare for this skill how to cue your horse for collection, and how to feel it when you get it right. Plus, we've got some brand new questions to answer straight from our listeners in the What the Hey Q&A segment at the end of this podcast. So today, we're talking about collection. Collection, that is, of the riding horse. So first and most importantly, let's talk about what collection is and what it is not. So technically speaking, collection is a shortening of the frame of the horse, the purpose of which is to transfer weight from his forehand to his hindquarters. So it's a transference of weight from the forehand to the hindquarters, and it's accomplished by asking the horse to shorten his frame by driving him up into your hand, so to speak, so that he rounds his frame. Now, we might start off with saying, what the heck is the frame of the horse? And when I'm teaching this in a clinic or even in a classroom, I can easily with my hands or with my horse point out the frame. And when we're strictly audio, I have to make sure everybody clearly understands what we're talking about. So When we talk about the frame of the horse, we're talking about the picture you see from outline, from profile, say from the center of the ring, if you were watching horses going around the outside of the arena. So it's the outline you see of profile that goes up the face of the horse, all the way down his neck and back and top side, and then um, straight down the back of his hindquarters, the back of his legs. So it's just the outline that you see from profile of the horse. And when a horse is in um, a relaxed position and a natural frame, that outline is very long. And sometimes it's referred to as a long and low frame or a level frame, meaning his neck and back are level. 
And uh, as I said, that's the comfortable frame and the more relaxed frame of the horse. However, from that frame, he has more than 50%, well, uh, maybe as much as 60% of his weight on his forehand. And the problem with that is that all his power comes from his hindquarters. So the horse drives himself forward from behind, from his hindquarters. All of his strength is in his haunches. That's why he's got those big, massive muscles back there. So he drives himself for, from behind. And I like to use the analogy of your horse is sort of like a two-wheel drive in the pickup, uh, two-wheel drive pickup truck in the snow. All the weight is on the front, but all the power is coming from behind. And so if we have that two-wheel drive pickup in the snow, we throw a bunch of sandbags in the back of the pickup bed, and that weights the hindquarters and uh, gives that uh, horse or pickup truck more traction. So that's what collection is. It's asking the horse to shorten his and round his frame, to lift his shoulders and withers, and bring his hindquarters up underneath him more. So he's rounding his lower back, if you will, bringing his hindquarters up underneath him and lifting weight off his forehand. So that's what collection is. What collection is not is ripping the horse's mouth out until he arches his neck to try to get away from the bit. And nothing that I'm going to talk about here relates to that. Um, and yes, um, the use of rain aids is going to be important in asking the horse for collection, but we're always asking with the lightest, softest possible aids. And what's really important to me when I'm riding and asking a horse for collection is that I am riding in rhythm with the horse, with my whole body, my seat legs, my legs are wrapped around the horse and riding in rhythm with him. My hands are moving in rhythm and timing uh, with my legs. Um, I'm using um, the minimal amount of pressure required to get the response I need. And I'm giving the horse a release as soon as I feel a response. Um, so collection is not uh, pulling on the horse's mouth until he arches his neck. In fact, arching his neck really has nothing to do with collection. It is a necessary byproduct of collection that the horse will break at the pole, meaning he brings his chin towards his chest, um, but he needs to lengthen his neck once he breaks at the pole. He needs to lengthen his neck from the base of his withers as he rounds up and lifts his shoulder and transfers weight um, to the hind quarters. So we'll talk uh, more about that in a minute. Um, so that's what collection is. It's a shortening and rounding of the horse's frame, the purpose of which is to transfer weight from the forehand to the hindquarters to give the horse more power, more coordination, more athleticism. Now, what you can expect from a horse in terms of collection has a lot to do with his conformation and also a lot to do with where he is on the training and performance spectrum. In other words, has this horse ever had any advanced training? Is, does he have good fundamentals and good basics underneath him before we ask him for collection? Has he, let's say, had a lot of riding but not so much finished training? 
what we expect from the horse in terms of the degree of collection, how rounded he gets, how much weight he can lift off the forehand, all of that depends on the um, age and confirmation of the horse, his strength and fitness, um, also how much training and preparation that horse has had. There's an old saying in horse training that says, um, you know, the slower the go you go, the you know, the faster the training or something like that. And um, what that refers to is that when you really take your time um, in the early stages of training to put a really solid foundation on a young horse or a, a horse that's new into saddle training, if you take your time and go slowly in those stages and build a strong foundation, then the finished training goes much faster. If you do the opposite and try to cram finished training on a horse that is not prepared for it, that's when you start seeing the, the uglier side of training, you know, horses that are resistant and nervous and agitated and tail swishing and that sort of thing. So understanding that if that horse is green, we might not ask as much of them as we do that mature, more finished horse. If this horse is just beginning his training versus a horse that's had a high level of training, that's going to affect the degree of responsiveness and the degree of collection we would expect. So how do I know when a horse is ready for collection? In other words, what are the preparatory foundational skills that I need to have in place before we really even worry about collection in, in, in the training continuum on this horse? Now, I'd be willing to bet that what I'm about to say is going to be a lot more than what most people would take the time to do on a horse before they ask for collection. But as I said earlier, if you did take the time to get all these foundational layers in place first, you would get to the a better end result faster in the end. So first and foremost always is that horse most must move freely forward in all three gates in a balanced frame off of light aids. And what that means is that off of light aids means that whenever I ask that horse to go forward with just a, a, sh a slight shift of my center of gravity and a slight closure of my leg aids, that he happily and obediently steps forward into the gate I'm asking for. And that he moves freely forward mean, in all three gates means that whenever I ask him to walk, trot, or canter, he goes at the speed I ask in the direction I ask until I ask him to do something different. So uh, I'm not coaxing him to go, begging him to go, queuing, queuing him multiple times to go. He's not trying to break gate on me. He's not trying to change directions on me. He's just all about the yes, ma'am, let's go. So, and in a balanced frame, that means that he's just carrying himself. I'm not constantly micromanaging him with the reins. I, I like my horses to uh, carry themselves on a loose rein before I start working on contact and before I ask for collection. The furthermore skills that I want in place and that I'm working on as a progression, you know, that, that progression begins on day one and it never ends. So um, beyond just that horse moving freely forward in all three gates and moving off light aids, 
I'm working on bending. I'm uh, working on shoulder four, meaning that I can bring my horse on a nice round circle and he arcs from pole to tail. He keeps his inside shoulder up. Um, he holds himself in a nice arc on the turn. Um, and uh, then shoulder four would be just bringing him from there onto a straight line so that his um, forehand is still on the arc of the circle, um, but in his hindquarters are traveling him on a straight line. So that's just getting the horse to start lifting his shoulders more. That's why it's sort of the precursor to collection. So bending in both directions and shoulder four um, going straight, but in a um, sort of arced position, if you will. And also, I want that horse to give to the lightest possible bit pressure. And so that's one thing. And so a lot of you would think of lateral flexion, maybe when with one rein, we give a little pulsating pressure with our fingers, tickling the lips of the horse. And um, that cues the horse to turn his nose around towards your knee um, and come off the pressure of the rein. Um, so that's kind of two different things there. I want to make sure uh, my horse does. One is that he gives to the lightest bit pressure, gives laterally. And the other is that he seeks out slack, meaning whenever he feels bit pressure, he gives to it. And then he puts slack in the rein and he holds the slack there. And so therefore, it's promoting self-carriage in the horse. I'm not a fan of holding a horse ever, whether that is in a bend or um, on the circle or um, in collection, I don't ever want to hold the horse. I want to ask the horse to come to that position and then train the horse to hold it himself. That's what we call self-carriage um, and, and sort of a um, slang way to think about that is teaching the horse to seek out slack, to put slack in the reins. So another important question is, when is the rider ready to work on collection? And this is perhaps even more important than when is the horse ready? Because the horse is, you know, all horses are capable of collection, no matter how good or bad their conformation is. Um, they can all do some collection. It's, it is, after all, a natural movement of the horse. It's called prideful behavior. And you've all seen it. It's when a horse, you know, struts his stuff and sticks his tail up in the air and arches his neck and prances around. That's called prideful behavior. And that's sort of natural collection. So like many things in riding, we're just cueing the horse to do something he is capable of doing naturally. So when is the rider ready to be working on this? Well, first of all, let me say in every horsemanship clinic that I teach, we end up working on collection because... There's always many people there that want to work on that. And um, it's something my riders in my clinics tend to have success with. So I teach it in almost every clinic that I do. And I will tell you that pretty much every rider has success, some level of success, depending on the skill level of the rider and the skill level of the horse. Uh, of course, that's going to determine the outcome. So almost any rider that can walk and trot is capable of starting to think and understand what collection is. But obviously, as with all things in riding, 
the higher skilled the rider is, the better this is going to go. The higher skilled the rider is, um, the better able the horse is to do the job. So what do we need in the rider? I need that rider to be able to walk, trot, and canter the horse in both directions, to be able to ride circles um, with a, a proper arc in the horse. And I think that's really the fundamental skills that you need. If you have the balance, control, and cueing ability to ride the walk, trot, and canter, and you can ride circles with, let's say, at the walk and trot, even um, with a proper arc, then you're certainly ready to be working on collection. By the way, if you're at the level of riding uh, where you're just building these skills, you might be interested in my riding videos. There's five volumes, and volume one and two are all about position, balance, moving rhythmically with the horse, and using your aids effectively in cueing. Volume three is about exercises to improve your riding. So if you're look at, looking at just sort of kickstarting your riding, um, it's a great uh, single video for that. And volume four is about cantering, but volume five, if you are at the stage of your riding and training where you're working on collection and lateral movements, it's volume five for you. It's called Collection and Refinement. And it is um, a, about a 90-minute video on um, collection and lateral movements in the horse. So those are good resources available for you at juliegoodnight.com. So we got that rider. He's just a rider that has good walk, trot, canter skills. And also, I need that rider to be able to sit the trot in a balanced seat, meaning they're sitting nice and vertical in a tall vertical seat. And, I, you know, hopefully that rider can sit the trot well enough to feel the lateral or side-to-side -side movement in the horse's back. To do that, you're going to have to have soft joints, good balance. Uh, your legs should be hanging draped softly around the horse, moving rhythmically with the barrel of the horse as he moves. Um, and most importantly, that rider needs to have light, independent hands. Uh, meaning uh, the rider's in total control over what she does with her hands and that her hands are not moving every time her seat or legs move. Before we start working on collection with that horse, we want to make sure he's outfitted properly. And really the main thing that's relevant here is the type of bitch you're using. Uh, it's not appropriate really to work on fundamental training skills in a curb bit, a pelham, or a uh, shanked bit uh, with a curb chain. It's best not to use that uh, when you're first working on collection. Now, if you have a uh, curb bit with articulating shanks and it's a, um, a bit that's made for this kind of training, uh, as many miler bits are, then I don't worry so much about it. But ideally, you're going to be doing this work in just a basic snaffle type bit or a direct pressure bit where the reins are attached directly opposite the mouthpiece. If you're riding in a hackamore of any kind, um, not much different. You are going to be riding two-handed. And um, so the 
you know, bit gives you more finite and refined control, um, and you're going to get less leaning and and less heaviness than you would probably in in most hackamores, however, or bitless bridles. But um, so a simple snaffle is fine, or if you are using a mild curb bit, make sure it has. Uh, bit shanks that articulate, short shanks that articulate from side to side, um, and preferably a leather curb strap and not a chain. So whether you're saddled or bareback, English or Western, uh, does not really matter, but I want you to be able to sit up nice and tall and vertical um, with a soft, warm leg, meaning your leg is draped um, softly around the barrel of the horse and, and um, you know, sort of softly caressing his rib cage and moving in rhythm with um, his back and, and barrel. Before I tell you about the cue for collection, I'll give you a great preparatory exercise. I always slip this in in the beginning of my clinics, and then later when we come back to work on collection, this is an exercise I refer back to. But if you can be on your horse at a walk on a loose rein with the horse in a low and level frame, so he's just in a totally relaxed frame and you're sitting up nice and tall and vertical with your legs uh, hanging down long and wrapped around his barrel. And um, just sit up tall in what we call a following seat, letting the horse move your body rhythmically. And you'll feel a very lateral movement in the walk, in the gait. You'll feel right, left, right, left. You'll feel your hips swinging right, left, and therefore your legs swinging right, left. This is what we call a following seat. And so first I want you to feel the rhythm of the following seat. Count that right, left rhythm in your head and notice that your lower leg, your calf muscles, sort of wrap around the rib cage of the horse rhythmically, right, left, right, left, as that horse swings his barrel from side to side in that freely forward-moving walk. And then the next thing we're going to do is increase the drive and rhythm in your seat and legs so that you are using what we call a driving seat your legs are closing and sort of increasing contact on the rib cage of the horse, right, left, right, left, and you're pushing with your seat bones, right, left, right, left, and you're asking the horse to extend the walk. So what you're asking the horse to do is move more forward as I increase the rhythm in my seat and legs. And I want you to do that for, um, you know, let's say 20 or 30 seconds, long enough where the horse is getting kind of tired of it. And then just rather suddenly come completely back to a passive following seat. You're no longer driving. And then go beyond that and sit a little bit behind the vertical and slow the rhythm down in your seat and legs, bringing it slower and slower, right, left, right, and see if you can get the horse to match your rhythm. So you're going to do this multiple times, driving the horse forward um, and then coming back suddenly to a resisting seat. So think about it this way. You have a following seat, which is the way we ride most of the time, following the rhythm of the horse, but, but feeling the right-left rhythm as he, as he works his hind quarters. And so then the driving seat pushes that horse into the extended walk, pushing, pushing, driving, driving, right, left, right, left. 
and then suddenly we sort of deflate and get back behind the vertical and way slow down the rhythm of our seat and legs, and that's what we call a resisting seat. So you're resisting the motion of the horse. If you will do that exercise enough, you know, it's a great fun exercise to do when you're warming up. Um, do it enough to where your horse really and you um, are really on the same wavelength in terms of the rhythm and that horse is coming back to the slow rhythm uh, right away because he's following what you're doing with your seat. That is a great preparatory exercise for collection. So now I want to tell you about the cue for collection, how to ask your horse to come into a rounded frame. Now, before you do this, it's important, I always say in clinics, that um, the moment, the first few times you do this, the moment your horse gives a response and starts breaking at the pole and rounding in the front end, you need to release him and praise him so that you're really certain, he's certain he did what you asked and you're certain he did what you asked. Uh, so that you're both really coming together on that as a cue. Once he understands that when you set him up with this cue, it means he's supposed to start rounding up his frame, then we can start asking for a little bit more every time you ask. So I just come hold it a little bit longer and round it a little bit more. But it's really important that you give a, a quick and maximum release in the beginning um, at least for the first few times. And if your horse had trouble learning it, you want to give that quick release for, you know, a half a dozen or more times. So to cue that horse for collection, first, you have to always, before you ask for collection, always drive the horse more forward first. So we're going to start, start talking about the cue from a walk. So First thing I'm going to do is from a walk, um, now my horse is starting on a long, low frame. I'm going to pick up my reins to just the slightest amount of contact or just off contact. But at first, I'm going to ask the horse to move more forward. So I'm going to shift into a rhythmic right-left driving seat, drive the horse more forward into an extended walk. And at the same time, I'm feeling the right-left movement of the horse. So I'm counting in my head right, left, right, left. Every time my right calf closes on the ribs, uh, I count right. Every time my left leg closes, I count left. So I'm extending the walk, feeling the right, left rhythm, counting the right, left rhythm in my head. The next thing I'm going to do is slowly and softly shorten my reins, both reins, until I come to light contact. And then using just small squeezes with my fingers. Um, we like to call them sponge squeezes, like you're just squeezing out the kitchen sponge. I'm going to start squeezing my reins, alternating right, left, and in a rhythm with my legs cues. So as I ask the horse to extend the walk by driving with my seat and legs right, left, um, after a moment, I'm going to start adding rain cues right, left, right, left in timing with my legs so that when my so that when my right leg closes on the horse, I squeeze my right fingers and then my left leg closes and I squeeze my left fingers. And 
I'm never pulling on two reins at the same time. That's so important. I'm going to say it again. I'm never pulling on two reins at the same time. That does nothing but create braciness and stiffness in your horse's neck. So I'm going to drive the horse up into an extended walk, counting my rhythm, right, left, right, left, softly shorten my reins, come to a light contact and add rein pressure, right, left, right, left. As soon as the horse breaks at the pole and starts to round in the front end and lengthen his neck, I'm going to release the reins and praise him. After a few times, and he's coming right into a rounded frame immediately when I ask, I'm going to hold it a little bit longer, uh, three or four strides, five or six strides, uh, halfway down the side of the arena, whatever. Uh, So I'm going to gradually increase the amount of time he holds it. And also, I'm going to gradually increase the amount of roundedness I expect him to maintain, how much weight I expect him to lift off his forehand. It's probably going to be some time before your horse actually comes into true collection. In, in other words, for that horse to really get his hindquarters up underneath him and lift the shoulders and shift uh, a significant amount of weight to his hindquarters, that takes a long time of training and conditioning um, to get to. So we just you know, ask for small increments at first, which starts with breaking at the pole, rounding and lengthening the top side of the neck, and then, then you slowly start feeling um, the weight shift from the forehand to the hindquarters. So we're going to work at the walk first, going from a long and low frame on a loose rein, uh, and then slowly over four or five or six strides, asking the horse to round his frame up, hold it for increasing amounts of distance. And then at some point, when that feels pretty good, we're ready to ask at the trot. It's really the same thing at the trot. If you can sit the trot well and you can feel the right left movement in your horse's back, then you can feel the rhythm of when you use your legs on the horse, right, left, right, left. We always engage our legs first and then uh, engage your hands, right, left, right, left. It's really important that when the horse um, starts coming into collection and rounding his frame, that you allow him to come off the bit pressure. In other words, if he rounds up and comes into a collected frame and I'm still pulling on his mouth, right, left, right, left, or heaven forbid, holding uh, pressure on two reins when he's there, um, he loses his, his incentive to hold himself there and he starts leaning on the bit and stiffening and bracing and then he gets heavier and heavier. So that's counterproductive. Before you're ready to tackle collection at the canter, you're going to be doing a lot of work at the walk and trot. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the canter. It's a little more complicated. Let's suffice it to say you'll want to work up to collection in the canter through arcing and bending and bringing your horse onto the circle and getting him to engage his hindquarters in that way. Um, There is a rhythm, um, a right-left rhythm to the canter. It's just very subtle. Um, So when you are able to sit the canter really well and control your canter well on the circle, you will be able to start uh, working your hands outside to inside rein in timing with the legs of the horse or in timing with the shoulder motion of the horse. Um, And you'll find, um, if you've done your foundational work at the walk and trot, Uh, He'll collect up at the canter uh, quite nicely.
So just a couple of caveats to remind you when you are working on collection with your horse, what you can expect of your horse and responsiveness has to do with his training level, his confirmation, um, depend, you know, a really well-built horse that's built for collection, uh, his confirmation makes it a lot easier for him than it does for a horse that does not have that kind of confirmation. So let's make sure we're fair to our horses and only ask um, no more than they're capable of giving. Also, collection is hard for the horse. You need to, when he puts out for you, you need to give him lots of praise and lots of rest and remember that it's hard for him and, and don't expect much at first. Give him time. And by time, I mean two, three months to develop the kind of musculature he needs to do um, sustained periods of time in, in collected gates. And always, always, always teach the horse to seek out the slack in the rain. Don't develop a horse that you have to hold in collection. In my mind, that's not even really collection. I think that it, for it to be really, truly beautiful and soft and fluid, the horse has to be holding himself there with just the lightest, lightest support from the rider. So um, try to avoid contact on two reins and, and always apply your aids in timing and rhythm to the horse's movement. To avoid burnout in uh, collection, don't do too much of it. Do a little bit of collection, come, go do something else, come back and do a little bit more. Don't, don't drill the horse on this. Uh, whatever you do, don't hang on two reins. I'm not a big fan of using side reins on the horse because I feel like it teaches him to lean on the reins. And at the end of the day, most horses that are worked in side reins tend to be heavy on the forehand and not engaging the hindquarters. Um, we don't want a horse that's bracing in his neck and stiff in his shoulders or leaning on your hands. And we don't want a horse that you have to hold in a frame. We want him to maintain the frame that we ask. But we're not going to ask him to hold it for an unreasonable amount of time. So always nurture the try in your horse by making sure every time he feels really good to you when you ask him for collection and um, you feel him round up and he feels soft and fluid and light, light aids and everything feels, feels really good, that's when you release the horse. That's when you quit on that exercise. Whatever note you quit on today is the note he's going to bring back to the equation the next time you ask him to do that. So... Um, so be fair to your horse in this. By the way, um, I mentioned I, I don't like using side reins. I do use a bidding system. Um, it's a bidding rig that uh, I developed. It's called an elbow pull. It teaches the horse self-carriage. It teaches the horse the cues for collection that are exactly as I've described them here. So it, it teaches the same cue that the rider's going to give without any kind of artificial aid. Um, and it's a great tool for conditioning that out-of-shape horse um, or that show horse um, or that horse that needs work on strengthen strengthening his abdominals and uh, improving his top line. And uh, so we just call it the bidding system, the goodnight bidding system. And that um, is a great tool if you are interested in training a horse for collection. And remember my um, goodnight principles of riding training video. Volume 5 is called Refinement and Collection. 
and um, it's be a great video resource for you. All of that is available at shop.juliegoodnight.com. And now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey? Q&A. We pick a few questions each month from our listeners and answer them on the air. We're also looking for listeners to come on the air with me for a live Q&A session over the phone. So if you have a more complicated question about your horse and you'd like to discuss it with me on the air, or if you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hey?, please go to my Facebook page at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or go to juliegoodnight.com slash podcast and contact us there. And now, read the first question, Megan. Our first question comes from Tamara, and she says, Hello, Julie. I have a question for your podcast. I have a six-year-old mare that I have owned for two years. I don't have an arena to ride in and ride her in an open field alone. Sometimes while riding, she will spook. She doesn't bolt or do anything crazy, just a side jump. Will she become more and more confident the older she gets and the more I ride her alone in the field, even if I only ride her two days a week? Okay, well, good question there, Tamara. And I think you've got a a few challenges there, but you're working through them. So I kind of break that down into a few different questions, really. So you've got just a six-year-old. That's a young horse. She doesn't have a lot of experience. And you're riding by yourself in an open field. So sure, that horse is going to be a little prone to spooking. She's green. She's by herself. She's out in the open. Um, All of those are, are ideal conditions to make a horse a little nervous. So I'm not too worried about that, given her age. I would be worried about developing a pattern of spooking. In other words, is she spooking, you know, always in the same spot? And is that spot, um, you know, suspiciously the spot that's located farthest away from the barn? And, you know, so is it honest spooking? In other words, did a jackrabbit jump out in front of her type spook? Or, you know, is this horse developing a pattern of behavior? So that would be my only concern if it's if it's just you know honest nervousness from being ridden alone um, and she's just jumping a little bit to the side sure she's probably going to outgrow that however there's really no time that we want to tolerate disobedience in the riding horse and so remember that an obedient horse goes in the direction you asked at the speed you asked without your constant micromanagement and so if i've asked the horse to go straight and she spooks and jumps to the side, um, I'm still going to issue some sort of correction there and and make sure I sort of expediently put her back on the path and say, hey, no, no, we don't jump to the side. I've asked you to go to this place. I've determined this place to be safe for you. So at some point, you need to stop doing that. So I can't tell you when or where that would be. Um, Maybe you're already there. Maybe you, this is no big deal at all. I'm not really sure you're you know, without seeing you and watching you in action. But these are the things I'd be looking for. Is she going to get better? Is she going to grow out of this? Absolutely. If you continue to train this horse consistently, um, these, you know, these are the rules of behavior that I consistently expect of you every day. And even though you're only riding two days a week, I feel that you will overcome this. 
Um, would it be better if you were riding three or four or five days a week? Absolutely. Would you get there a lot faster? Absolutely. But what is most important is the quality of the training, not the quantity of the training. So even riding two days a week, just make sure that um, this spooking is reasonable, that you're working in a progression that is eliminating the spooking and not developing a pattern of spooking. Okay, Megan, next question. Okay, our next question comes from Britt, and she asks, how can I improve my posture at the lope? I am often called a grandma in a rocking chair. Okay, Britt. Well, that's a rather graphic um, visual I just got there, a grandma in a rocking chair. I think um, given that that's the visual that you just gave, um, you probably already know what you need to do to improve your posture at the canter. But let me just elaborate on a few points. First of all, and most importantly, what we're talking about here is posture. It just so happens to be you're talking about posture while riding, but your posture is your posture. So I got bad news, Britt. If you look like a grandmother in a rocking chair while you're riding, you might look like that at other times. You might look like that when you're driving. You might look like that when you're sitting at your desk or at the table or watching TV or right now. If you have allowed poor posture traits to come into your um, being, then um, this becomes a problem. And the older we get, the more critical a problem it is. So having um, good posture starts on the ground. It starts with fitness. It starts with a lifelong sort of goal of maintaining good posture. So address your posture on all levels of your life. But getting back to the canter especially, there are um, a couple of things about the canter that sort of push you in the direction of looking like that grandmother in a rocking chair. One is people tend to get nervous at the thought of cantering. And so what do we do when we're nervous? We sort of hunker in and withdraw into our core, into the fetal position. And so be careful that you're not, you know, gripping and hunching your shoulders forward and sort of gripping towards your core um, in that fetal type position. Look, at the canter, it's a, it's a swinging motion. It's a motion like pumping a swing. And so it's a back-to-front motion. And so if you think about being on a swing set and pumping that swing to go higher, you'll realize that there's a moment in that stride when your shoulders are actually way behind your hips and you're pumping from behind. And that's what the canter is like. It's a, a come from behind, a pump from behind, pushing a swing motion. When I'm teaching people that are new to cantering, I always tell them to exaggerate sitting back, sit behind the vertical. And there's two reasons why this is important. One is leading up to beginning cantering, you've been working at the trot, working at the trot, working at the trot. And the trot is a very vertical motion and it's a very forward motion. So we tend to move up and forward at the trot. But the canter is the opposite motion. You got to sit way back and come from behind in that um, motion like you're pushing a swing. So think about Brit sitting back behind the vertical before you ask that horse to canter. Make sure your sternum is lifted and you're working on your posture and your core strength, um, sucking that belly button in, 
Uh, so you're kind of getting your hips underneath you a little bit more. All of these things are going to help you get your upper upper body back. And then just having the visual of, of imagining you're pumping a swing when you ask that horse to canter, uh, that should help with your posture as well. So good luck. We don't want any uh, grandmothers in a rocking chair on a horse. So uh, work on that posture from the ground up. And um, also, let me remind you, volume four in my writing series is called Canter with Confidence. It's an A to Z canter video. Uh, everything from the footfalls of the canter to cueing to riding to collecting to leads and lead changes is on that video. So if you're at the point in your riding where you're really working at the canter, that might be a good resource for you. Um, remember, go to shop.juliegoodnight.com. Thank you, everyone, for a fun and interesting conversation about collection, what it is, how you're going to do it, um, and how you're going to keep your horse light and responsive to your aids. Next month, we'll tackle another horse training subject to help you find the solutions you need to make your horse life better. Next month, we'll tackle another horse training subject to help you find the solutions you need to help make your horse life better. I'll give you A to Z information on the canter, from the footfalls of the gate to cueing to controlling the canter and leads and lead changes. This is the subject of my best-selling training video, so I'm sure you'll enjoy next month's podcast and find some useful information there. Be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss it. I enjoy sharing my horse care and training experiences with you, and I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. Thank you for your submissions, for podcast topics, and for questions for the Q&A segment. You may have heard your suggestions reflected in this episode. This podcast is for you, the listener, and we love hearing from you. So if you have questions, podcast topics you'd like me to address, or if you'd like to participate in a call-in podcast with me, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email me at podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Be sure to hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. Also, it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers like you and me find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride. juliegoodnight.com slash academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening and don't forget to enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride.